Do you believe in ghosts? Some people believe in them. Others do not. Personally, I do. Happy haunting. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, this is the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shan, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tejada. Let's go! Hello, Boils and Ghouls. On behalf of the Boo Crew, it's Trev with episode number 33. She is a multiple Juno Award-winning singer-songwriter, visual artist, and comic book creator with a brand new album and a company and comic series called Skin and Earth out right now. She's also a huge horror and sci-fi fan. Lights is on the show. We talk about her haunted adventures while recording, the occult side of space exploration, the secrets of the movie It Follows, and more. Plus, we debut a brand new feature on the show, Boo Crew Terror Tunes, live and intimate musical performances summoned into our seance room, the Speakeasy Studio. Not only will these be a part of the program you're listening to right now, but they're also available to watch on our YouTube page. For the first time ever, a look into our studio where you can be right there with us virtually like a phantom in the room. Who's that? Oh, it's you. Shit. See? Check the episode links at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com and please hit subscribe so you don't miss any more of these videos that are going to be coming your way very soon. It all starts with another new segment we are calling... Round and round and round it goes. Close your eyes and see if you can guess where we're going. What do you think of this? It's time for Wheel of the Damned. All right, it's the Wheel of the Damned, everybody. <laughs> so, what we've done, Austin went and got a prize wheel. It's and, pretty awesome. <laughs> and on the prize wheel written are different things, different topics, different decades of horror films. Like, what are some of the ones? Like, I can't read it from where 1980s, I am. 1980s. Country Italian. Silent era. Cool. So, so we'll a whole s- bunch of them. We spin the wheel and whatever it lands on, we go and watch and I'll come back to talk to you about it. We gave it its very first spin after taping the last episode. And through the miracle of time travel... This is what happened. All right, here we are with the inaugural spin of the Wheel of the Damned. <laughs> this thing is literally mic'd up on the desk, so we hear how it sounds. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh. On. Japanese! Oh. All right. Yeah, oh, this will be exciting. All right, yes. <laughs> and we're back. Japanese horror, everybody! Yeah. <laughs> I haven't really seen a lot of Japanese horror films. Oh, yeah? Ooh. I mean, I've seen a lot of movies that have been remade. Sure. English yeah. movies remade as totally. amazing ones. But anyway, so yeah, this is a great assignment. Who wants to go first? Leo. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for volunteering. He had his hand up in the air and everything. (laughs) Well, check this out, man. I saw a few old movies. Now, I don't usually watch old Japanese horror movies because the new ones are really crazy, especially the Mike movies. He's nuts, man. He's really crazy. But I found one. It's part of a trilogy. It's not the first one nor the third one. It's the second one. It's called Lake of Dracula. Oh. This movie's 1971. 
directed by Michio Yamamoto. It stars Midori Fujita as Akiko, also Sanei Emi as her sister Natsuka. A couple of supporting characters, one being Choi Takahashi, plays Dr. Takashi Saki, and also uh, Shin Kishida, who plays the vampire. Really crazy movie for its time, because for being 1971, we're thinking, well, what does a Japanese like vampire movie look like? Well, I'll give you the quick synopsis. After a coffin is delivered to a small lakeside Japanese town, one of the locals discovers that its occupant isn't dead. The only witness to this vampire invasion gets bitten, along with others in the town. Only one woman, Akiko, one of the two sisters, knows the truth, but even she has doubts as to what she's witnessed. So the cool thing is this wow. movie starts off when she's a young girl, she's like an artist, and she paints this crazy eye with like glowing, like golden yellow eyes. And then she has like nightmares. And then it flash forwards to like present day, where she's now a teacher, she arrives at this lakeside town in japan this coffin shows up everybody thinks that it's a joke it's like oh what's going on you know what's, what's the story with this and it turns out that somebody delivered a vampire to this really no-name town in japan on purpose on purpose oh. maliciously yeah maliciously <laughs> malicious vampire delivery <laughs> yeah. those are the worst <laughs> <laughs> so this movie was actually released by the toho studios nice if you don't know who they are they are the ones who brought us godzilla back in the what was it the 50s 60s yeah they did all the akira kurosawa movies that's right Oh, the Curacao, yeah. And Studio Ghibli. Yeah, crazy to think that Godzilla's been in, what, 33 films that they put out? <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, talk about lot. sequels, man. There's a lot. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. This movie has great ambiance. There's a very eerie setting to it. It kind of has, the, like, the Suspiria look, like the Dario Argento look. Not with the vivid colors or anything, but it feels like there's something wrong in every scene. Some scenes are lit that way. Reminds you a little bit of, like, Rosemary's Baby. And then others are, you know, just in bright sunlight out by the lake or walking around. And it's just like, there's something wrong. Like, there's something surreal about this place. The cast is very minimal. Might be only maybe 10, 12 actors in the whole movie. But the setting is very beautiful. This particular version that I've seen was either scanned very well from, from the original film. It's held up like so well. It looks so beautiful in high definition. It doesn't even look like a, like a scan. It just looks like it was like filmed today, maybe on some, you know, late, the latest camera gear and all that. The vampire, he's not a speaking vampire. He's just somebody who walks out of the shadows. What sets up his appearance is really interesting because this movie has all those things that like a bump in the night. It's the soundtrack, it's the wind, it's the rain, it's the thunder, it's like the creaky doors, the shadows, you know, so all of a sudden you're seeing things and you're like, oh, that door opened by itself. But it's really setting up for the fact that the vampire is going to show up any second. And he's a really crazy looking vampire. He's got these golden yellow eyes and he's very pale looking and he's this handsome guy, but he does not speak. So this movie has that kind of traditional horror in the sense where there's no boo jump out and scare you, but there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of anxiety because there's a lot of slow build. And then you get to these scenes where you're like, well, there's wind and there's thunder and there's rain and there's doors. And then all of a sudden the vampire appears. It's kind of like a little reminder that, you know what? This vampire is omnipresent. He's going to show up when he wants to show up. You got to be careful because he's, he's coming to get you, man. Overall, this movie, I really loved it. It's a slow burn. It's a unique take on Dracula, something you don't see every day. So the interesting thing is this is the second movie. The first one being The Vampire Doll, 1970. Obviously, this is Lake of Dracula, 71. And the third movie is Evil of Dracula, 1974. So it's a trilogy. But the second one is the one that stood out to me as... The one that has some very unique aspects as to a vampire film. 
it's one of those hidden gems. I highly recommend it. Probably find it on Amazon Prime or something. Let's call it Lake of Dracula. Well, first of all, I want to give Leo props for pronouncing the names accurately because the real <laughs> that's, horror, that's the challenge with the Wheel of the Damned. The real horror is going to be when I say these people's names and I feel so bad. The reason that I volunteered to go next is because our film is very close to the same era of the one Leo was, yes. was talking about. Oh, wow. No way. And that would be from 1977. The psychedelic freakout known as one of the weirdest movies of all time, Houseu. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, we got the same one. (laughs) (laughs) That happens even on the wheel of the dam. I'm so excited. Now we could all talk about it. And we can all mess up the names together. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably just going to be me, though. We'll just let you do it and then. You guys can correct me. But yeah, a little backstory. Due to the success of Jaws, they hired this TV commercial and indie film director. And it was that production company, the same one Leo was talking about. Yeah, Toho to- Studio. Toho, Toho, that's right. Yes. To deliver a movie that was in the same spirit of Jaws. So this is a guy who pioneered the style of advertising that became kind of synonymous with Japanese culture and these amazing, vibrant soda drink commercials and taking different media and mashing it all together. So this is kind of what you get when you get this movie. All the ideas came from his 10-year-old daughter. It really plays out on screen kind of like Evil Dead written by a kid. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah, that's perfect. Sounds crazy. Super surreal. Crazy doesn't begin to describe it. It was the craziest movie I've ever seen. I think it was the first Japanese movie I've seen, and I was like, "Wow, are they all like this?" That would be amazing. That would be amazing. I've been missing out. It was really cool, and they had this like really haunting, beautiful piano piece throughout the film that kept coming up. And I swear it was like My Chemical Romance. That <laughs> it kind of sounded like the beginning of Welcome to the Black yeah, Parade right. a little funny. bit. <laughs> yeah. I read the director wrote it. He's writing and playing the piano piece. The piano piece, the way they used it, reminded me of the theme in Cannibal Holocaust. Kind of a repeating, haunting right. melody keeps occurring. Yeah, different instruments, different tones. Yeah. I didn't realize how long that melody was playing throughout the film until it became like, oh my God, I've been listening to this forever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> it becomes part of what the actors are playing. There's a piano, yeah. right? And they're playing it on the piano, the yeah. same thing. So you can watch it on Amazon, nice. which we were lucky to be able to see. Amazon had actually a great little synopsis of it, so I was just going to read it because it was really fun. I think it kind of captured the whole film. House is a hallucinatory head trip about a schoolgirl who travels with her six classmates to her alien aunt's creaking country home and comes face to face with evil spirits, a demonic house cat, a bloodthirsty piano, and other ghoulish visions. Equally absurd and nightmarish house might have been beamed to Earth from some other planet. <laughs> what? Yep. Yes. Exactly. That's right? the film. That is a really good. <laughs> what I thought was really funny is like what? there's seven young girls and they all have these crazy names like yeah. gorgeous, fantasy, kung fu, melody. Prof. Prof, which was short for professor. Sweet 
Pete and Mac. Well, they're all named yeah. after like their personalities. Yeah, that's like funny. gorgeous. It's like the seven dwarves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even put that together. It's a twisted fairy tale. One of the reviews we read described it as Dario Argento meets Guy Madden. I wanted to add to that. It's as if Dario Argento and Guy Madden had a child, and at five years old, that child made a movie. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So the director, Nobuhiko Obayashi, so in the 60s, he was an experimental filmmaker. As Trevor said, Toho hired him to write this screenplay, but he hadn't directed a film yet. So all these other Toho directors didn't want to direct the script because they thought it would ruin their career. <laughs> so he begged I wonder that, why. And, yeah. and eventually they just allowed him to direct it himself. They were creating special effects on the set. This was early green screen. So they're sort of experimenting with green screen effects, inventing a lot of stuff, you know, that hadn't really, or playing with things that maybe were just recently invented or coming up with new things all the time. Yeah. They had like skeletons on strings. (laughs) That's really cool. Just in the background. (laughs) But they did a lot of like in camera, like you were saying, weird video effects, different things that I've never even seen before. Actually, near the end really reminded me of Sam Raimi stuff. Yes, yeah. very much. Mm-hmm. Stop motion things, like, sped like, up film. Like Tim and Eric. Yeah, yeah. 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 Tim and Eric, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> Meet Sam Raimi. Yeah, there's a lot of giggling and laughing and yeah. happiness. There's a lot of like cuteness going on in, amongst all this grossness. <laughs> <laughs> and I love their, their like little sailor outfits at the school. I want one of those. <laughs> really cute. Right, super cute. And just the style of, it's very melodramatic. Yes. Most of it was shot on a soundstage without trying to fool you that it's not on a soundstage. So it has this like overt artifice to it, which was just weird yet highly captivating. At some point, like you were saying, they don't hide the fact that it's shot on a soundstage. And then sometimes you would actually see like a painted background in front of a real background yeah. and in one scene. You'd be like, what? what? Like, yeah, stuff that it looks like a mistake. <laughs> that but was it- amazing. It was a close up. Of the girls against a clearly a painted background, which you think is intentional because we've already seen them on a clearly a soundstage. And then it cuts to a wider shot and they're just standing in front of a painted background in a giant field. field. It was so fun. The The whole thing was obviously to have a sense of whimsy and fun to it. And he wanted the visual effects to feel as though a child had designed them. He huh. accomplished yeah. that. Good <laughs> job. The way it's edited together reminded me of that show that I've talked about many times on here, The Hilarious House of Frightenstein. I wondered oh. about that, actually, if it had a similar vibe to it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, The Hilarious House of Fright. So this movie is 1977. Frightenstein was 71. Oh, oh, interesting. But it's edited very similar where it's almost like it's almost like you took a commercial director and told them to make a movie out of a hundred commercials. The changes are, are going so fast that yeah. they're like little 60 second segments of insanity. It's true. And it does feel pat. It's 88 minutes long and it feels padded, especially in the first half. You know, we've got to yeah. stretch this out because the haunted house part is only like 40 minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> so how do we stretch it? But it also makes you feel uneasy because it's so unbalanced. And again, mm-hmm. like, what are we, what is this? What are we watching? <laughs> You're on the journey. Yeah. It's like surreal, unknown. <laughs> <laughs> so the, yeah, 1977 in Japan. However, it didn't make it to the U.S. until the early 2000s. I think Janice Films mm-hmm. distributed it. There's a Criterion Collection version of it that apparently has, which I'm excited to watch now, has a bunch of bonus materials. It's got interviews with 
cast and director. Ty West is on the Criterion yeah. talking about oh, the, we the, watched the film. That. That yeah, we watched that. Yeah. It was good. Like, it's yeah. one of his favorite films. Wow. He had yeah. a lot to say about wow. it. That's <laughs> random. I just can't imagine when they came out because I've heard about it for a little while, but I knew that it was older. I didn't realize that it didn't exist here. I wonder if there are like bootlegs floating around the 80s. It's that kind of movie. It's like yeah. a cult movie. It's like Brain Dead. Remember Brain Dead? Or, uh, uh, sorry, Dead Alive? Yeah, I think the original time might have been Brain Dead. Yes. Was going around on a VHS copy yeah. that right. people were just it's, passing around. Exactly. Like, what is this? Exactly. This is amazing. <laughs> I, I wonder if it, there's like a simultaneous on the other end of that spectrum, there's tapes of house going around that uh, got people excited. Yeah. Someone's like, I got some Japanese horror yeah. for you. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> a little known fact was to build the audience, it almost seemed like Nobuhiku kind of created one of the first viral marketing campaigns because he had already before the movie came out done a manga a full novelization a successful one hour radio show and then he started making bumper stickers with the poster logo and he made that logo famous before the movie was released. Oh, wow. So he wanted to reach young teenagers and they had already heard about the movie and were familiar with the logo. And by marketing the movie by its logo, he was kind of a pioneer. It was one of the first Japanese films that ever marketed itself that That's way. That's fantastic. Wow. Which is wow. amazing. Well, because apparently it, it did very well theatrically in Japan, however, it wasn't very well reviewed oh. at the time. But that would make sense. It doesn't matter. Reviews don't matter if the audience is already built and they're going to go see it, as right. we know from marketing campaigns, viral right. marketing campaigns today. Slate Magazine, they gave the film three stars out of four, calling it equal parts brilliant, baffling, ridiculous, and unwatchable. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely an experience. That's the thing, right? No matter how you cut it, if you didn't like it or if you didn't know what to think about it, that's awesome because right. it gave you an experience, a, a completely original experience yeah. that totally. can't be really found anywhere else. <laughs> yes. And you'll yeah. definitely talk about it. There are scenes you will definitely never forget. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's, what's interesting to me, just reflecting on all of this, is that we all chose films from the 70s when Japan has such a rich... <laughs> Legacy yeah, right. of modern day horror. <laughs> yeah, the oh, last man. twenty years have so many amazing yeah. horror movies. Yeah, More thirty years yeah. have all the Takeshi Miike movies. Oh, God. Nuts. It's so good. Like we did, we haven't audition. talked about like audition oh, exactly. Geez, <laughs> <laughs> but then all like you know Ringu and yeah. uh, Juwan, which became the Grudge. Ringu, which became the Ring, and yep. and Grudge, which is brings me back to the person I was talking about earlier about possibly one of the most important people of the last twenty years of American horror producer named Roy Lee. He was the guy who went and started buying up American rights to all these Asian, Japanese, and Korean horror movies. Oh, interesting. And then Smart. remaking them. In Korea, we had The Eye, The Ring, Ringu, The Grudge. There's Dark probably Water. Dark Water, yep. That's right. Which is another Japanese movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so he was this guy. So he started this whole wave of, you know, in the early 2000s of all these horror movies that were coming out. So that wave that we had was a direct result of him. <laughs> Have you heard about this videotape that kills you when you watch it? What kind of tape? A tape. A regular tape. People run it, I don't know. You start to play it, and it's like somebody's nightmare. 
Hey, this is Lights, and you're hanging out with the Boo Crew. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio is a singer, songwriter, musician, comic book writer, and illustrator who's brought pure passion with a soul that thirsts for exploration in absolutely everything she does. Her 2008 self-titled EP was way ahead of its time and solidified her as one of the most talented melody writers in music, helping launch her career, eventually resulting in three Juno Awards up until now. She released her first full-length album, The Listening, followed by a slot on the Vans Warp Tour, unleashing her synth-tinged intergalactic ear candy on the entire world. She's since put out a handful of EPs and three more full-length albums, including her most recent project, Skin and Earth, which is a visceral and tangible musical experience perhaps unlike anything else ever created. Armed with a ray gun powered with indivisible resolve, the pioneering spirit of adventure, and the innate ability to conjure that all up in a song. We welcome the women known as Lights. Yeah. All right, that's the best intro I've ever gotten. <laughs> You've like made me reflect on my entire career. It's lovely. Thank you. Well, We're thank you so for nice. being here. We're stoked. I'm sure you've talked about this amazing house on here a thousand times, but it's the best, perfect way to start off a conversation. Just like the coolest energy, like collection vibes. I love it. That's cool. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, this is cool to be in here. Thank you for having me. Wow, cool. Yeah, she's talking about we do a little tour with the guests when they come over to the studio. Have you, have you talked on the pod about what's in your house. Not really in no. particular, no. I don't think. It's I'm, crazy. I, I meet Harry Potter every time I walk yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Harry Potter and I, and I believe he's, a, it's, he's alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every time. Now I know oh he is. <laughs> There's like real collectibles like from real movies and like The Notebook. The I don't. Notebook. I, I mean, yeah. I don't know if that's a secret ending, but no, that's like that's a prize not. possession. Yeah, the notebook. notebook from The Notebook. The Notebook. That's, that's, that's one of many. And where'd you guys get the life-size Harry Potter? The yeah, it's a good question. It's you know, so real. Like so e- e- real. every time I walk in, I'm like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like every time. I live here and I still go, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Harry Potter's here. Yeah. yeah exactly. A lot of people have that question. It was a guy in Peru whoa. named Walt Wizard. Wow. No way. And he makes like customized life-size sculptures. And he yeah. does all sorts of like he does like Sylvester Stallone and all different whoever not, you want. Not just specifically wizards. Not just specifically wizards. <laughs> exactly. This but his name. Like, we, you know, when looking for statues like this, there's all these sculptors who do all these life-size versions of real people and actors and characters. But some of them really have strengths on certain characters. And yeah. this guy nailed Dan Radcliffe. Unreal. So they actually, like, take a hypodermic needle and inject the facial hair into no. the like the five o'clock shadow that you see on the silicone on, on their face and dirty up the hands oh. and, and put dirt on the fingernails. Sometimes they bury parts of it in, in a backyard or whatever to age it. Wow. They oh, mess wow. up the clothes so it looks old and takes on that old look. But yeah, it took him about six months to make him. There's a vol- He's fighting a Voldemort, uh, you know, across from which him. Which is be- like, it's yeah. not just Harry Potter. I mean, it should be specified. <laughs> Voldemort's there, which is insane. Like that is like the most epic part of the, movie, of the whole series. It's like the climax of the movie is in your foyer. <laughs> <laughs> well, much. We had one guest in from the oh. movie Fantastic Beasts. Oh, okay. okay. What did they think? I need to know. What well, that was interesting because they came in. It was Dan Fogler who stars as Jacob in Fantastic Beasts, the Harry Potter spinoff movie. So we found out he was in town and he's a comic book writer. Oh. And he actually makes horror wow. comic books. What comic is he working on? It was called Moon Lake. Kind of like a throwback to like EC Comics. Okay. Anthology horror. But all centered around this one location I love it. called Moon Lake. 
like. It's very cool. And the, cool. the sequel's coming out pretty soon. Anyway, so he came in to discuss that, but he didn't know anything about A, that it was at a house. Yeah. Or that it had any Harry Potter stuff whatsoever. Sure. So here he comes in his Uber, right? By right himself. Be- yeah, by himself, right by before himself. Fantastic <gasps> Beasts 2 comes out shows up and none of the crew is here yet this guy showed up early and we were just standing with him and he took one look and when you walk in you see this harry potter scene and he was just like he looked like we were oh gonna my god, kill him these people are gonna kill him <laughs> <laughs> but he's like oh my god i'm in a house of like crazy fans <laughs> exactly yeah. like oh not my, like oh. probably the crazy like it looks like oh. the craziest and then you fan. guys are like walk down the hallway into the little room go into the secret <laughs> Secret room, right. like guillotine toilet. Right. <laughs> oh, I love it. And they come in the studio, close the door behind him, and you know, as it looks like, there's apparently no doors to get out, right? So he's, uh, <laughs> and then we, started, yeah, it freaked him out. I oh, think. Oh, I love it. And then everyone showed up, and then we turned on the microphone, and started doing the thing, and it was, it was cool. He was, he, yeah, we won him over. Yeah. yeah. So it was a little weird at first. He what? What? Oh. It was. Lauren and I were weirded out for the whole time because that we stuck. We like held on to that energy that weird energy yeah. like we felt bad like guilty oh no and they weren't here for that so when they came in didn't you stop doing the harry potter stuff after that for a while we did yeah we did oh, right. yeah. oh my gosh Hilarious. brought it back for you you could like move the jack and sally down and swap the places if you have a harry potter come <laughs> right harry potter. Yeah. Yeah. blanket yeah. oh there's ghosts yeah <laughs> yeah you see casper i mean yeah, yeah. that is funny wow so your personal style and your visuals as an artist and your illustration, the things you were passionate about, it's steeped in the elements of science fiction and horror and fantasy. And a lot of that rises to the top, I feel, in Skin and Earth. Yeah. We'll focus on horror first. What was the first horror film you remember either seeing or that had an impact on you? Clear as day. I think the first thing that ever terrified me was 13 Ghosts. Mm. Oh. And I'd watched that with friends. I think it was probably the first real scary movie I'd seen. And then I got hooked on like the thrill of the fear. Yeah. And I was at home alone and I was like, I'm going to try watching Hollow Man. <laughs> you know, Kevin Bacon, yeah, one yeah. of the best movies ever. And uh, it's so stupid, but I was like terrified. And then I, I just got addicted from that point on and watched a lot on my own and with friends or whatever it might be. You, you end up gravitating to people who also like horror so that you can spend your Friday night watching scary movies, you know, because I, that's the kind of the only movie I like now. Wow. But it all started with 13 Ghosts. Like that movie, I had to stop when the kids like going into the basement and finds all the like cells for the first time. And I was like, right. I can't do this. <laughs> and needed to take a breath and like go finish watching it later. That, that brings back good memories. Are you talking about the original like black and white 13 ghosts no, or the, the, the more recent one? Right, something. right. Which Matthew is, I mean, that's Lillard, almost right? 20 years ago. Yeah, kind Matthew of Lillard. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was amazing. I, I haven't watched it in a long time. So I, like, in retrospect, maybe it's not. Right. I wonder if it still holds <laughs> up. Yeah. It's probably on Netflix. So yeah. yeah. I assume. What do you think it is about horror in particular that attracts you to that? If you're going to talk about like what you like about her, it probably makes you sound like a pretty messed up person. But I think. <laughs> I, uh, you, you like up. the yeah. fear, right? I guess we like, I think we all live in pretty safe lives and we are generally like well off and privileged and don't have to be torn apart in a hostel. You know what I mean? <laughs> and generally. getting to experience the thrill of fear makes you feel alive in a world that's like pretty blasé. And I think that's why I get into sci-fi and why I create and why I make comics, put my mind in other worlds. I play video games. I think it's, it's my way to escape this world that's pretty um, 
can be boring. No? So we, we thrill ourselves <laughs> with the fear of terror. <laughs> <laughs> now, what about like, do you ever do like those haunted attractions or those elevated experiences where they do the fake hostile thing? And do you take it that far? Would you no, ever? No, you know, I haven't before. I've done a couple haunted houses where they like people jump out and stuff. None of the, like the physical contact stuff. And that stuff freaks me out. I'm like, this is too real, man. Put me back on my couch. <laughs> Give me a glass of wine and I'll watch again anything. But I, I watched that series Dark Tourist. Have you guys seen that series? No. I have not. Oh, you got to see it. It's like. Um, I've seen it. It's, it's on Netflix. So it keeps popping up Netflix, in our queue, yeah. like the recommended viewing. Yeah. And like, it's pretty messed up some of the stuff that people do for fun, like as tourism, right? Right. And one of the like finale episodes, I don't want to spoil anything, but it takes place um, in this one guy who's like ex-military like um, interrogator. And he basically can torture you for free. And if you can last... 20 minutes or something you can win all this money I like, think you're Russ, talking to, he's, talk, he's talking about McKamey Manor yes. that's what I'm that's talking about <laughs> yeah. yeah and I'm like this is fuck yeah that, that like, shit I would is never do that <laughs> like if you want to do that that's like next level fucked up right yeah. right. but I mean I was fascinated watching it wow. and then I went online and looked up all the like forums about it Oh yeah! All the controversy that resulted, and and the dudes on there like defending himself on the forums and stuff. It's crazy. It's a deep <laughs> rabbit hole because we've talked about it on yeah. the show before. He sits there and films everything that goes on inside yeah. that haunt, in yeah. you know, brackets haunt. Yeah, and edits the footage together and makes these like two hour long videos. And you got to sign in with your age restriction, yeah. everything on YouTube to watch <gasps> them, and they're intense. Yeah, people getting their mouths stretched open, like drowned, and hit and drowned. Yeah, and, yeah like, it's that's it's next level yeah. like that's 2019 shit right yeah right yeah <laughs> talk about apocalypse yeah here we are that happens well how about science fiction what are some of your favorite early science fiction films you've seen they love. Probably like first sci-fi that probably drew me into to the concept of like future ideas was Logan's Run. It has that retro sci-fi thing, Barbarella, yep. that yeah, era of like 70s futurism where their imagining of the way the future would have been was so like visually iconic. I channeled that a lot in the first record and in all my music videos back then. And even though I wasn't necessarily writing about that kind of stuff, it always made its way into the aesthetic. And that was like a big part, like with the laser guns and all that stuff. Yeah. That was so fun. That has such an iconic aesthetic to that era. And that was probably my entry into sci-fi. And along with that, that was probably my entry into comics as well. I was like reading space adventure comics and Magnus Robot Fighter, all these old like retro sci-fi comics. And that really kind of was my gateway into liking comics. Is that what turned you into a collector as well? I would say so. I think... Probably the collection that I have spawned mostly from gaming. I'll have a lot of weapons and a lot of those replica weapons come from Warcraft or Diablo or Halo or all the games that I used to play. Uh, religiously and, and you know that evolved into like collecting some steampunk ray guns or like you know going into you know the collection that I have just because I think they look really cool the Weta workshop who does all the props oh, for, yes. for Lord of the Rings and all that they have a whole like fake sci- retro sci- or almost steampunk retro sci-fi line called Dr. Grordbort say that 10 times and is that like is that an original line that they it's an original line they came up with and every, every piece has like a story and they're really cool like little like cool laser guns and I have like a whole collection of them so it's yeah it's just keeping your mind young you know is there a favorite game that you have that you like to play? Uh, the one I play probably most consistently, I mean, I played Warcraft for six years and I have like a ton of Warcraft related tattoos. 
which I don't regret any of them. They named an in-game item after me. I can die happy. Wow. Yeah, that was like cool. my highlight. People are like, what's your career highlight? I'm like, uh, this. Foxliner <laughs> <laughs> leggings of lights, holy paladin legs. Um, yes. But uh, I've never gotten them. But probably the game I play most consistently is Diablo, like the current Diablo, but I'm like always playing through the RPG games that I like, mm. you know, that are the new ones. Right, right now I'm playing through the new Assassin's Creed. It's a good getaway. People ask me and Lauren this all the time. What do you get from your collection? First of all, like walk us through like when you walk in your place, do you have like a, is it on the walls? Is it in yeah. display cabinets? What is kind of the vibe? I've been thinking about this a lot lately because that Marie Kondo has come up where it's like, <laughs> get rid of all your shit. Right. Unless right. it sparks joy. And I'm sitting here in my mind mentally defending all my bullshit. And I love it. And it reminds me of how much I like all that stuff. Right. I have a lot of figurines of like powerful women that inspire me. So I have like a whole Wonder Woman shelf. A bunch of paintings of Wonder Woman that I've done myself. I did like my own spin on her romance with Superman and switched to Batman. And just like <laughs> have this massive painting on the wall. A lineup of ray guns. I have a bunch of swords, a bunch of katanas from Bleach, which is a manga that I read. And uh, uh, Can those make you bleed? No. A lot of them aren't sharp. Although some of the weapons, so I have a replica Lord of the Rings weapon and a couple oh. of daggers that are actually sharp, but most of them. Oh wait, you have Eowyn's? Yeah. Weapon? I read that somewhere. I'm like, yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. Then that one's actually sharp. So I keep that one in my bedroom. Just <laughs> Case. Take the head off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, that's my game plan. Every time I hear a noise, I'm like <laughs> reaching out for the sword. So yeah, I, we walk in my place and it's pretty much like a modern, smallish, three room kind of thing. Because we all live in a, a compound with the rest of my family. Cool. It's a really great setup. Like my parents live in one unit. My sister's family lives in the other. And we live in the other. And nice. it's like this wicked three house home. But every house is unique and different. And so ours is like a very modern one. And it's just like tons of display cases with like toys that my daughter is not allowed to Touch, right. Yeah. Does, she want, yeah. does she want to touch and play yeah, with all that the, stuff? What, I let her play the couple of the Sailor Moon things. Okay. But she knows that's not the you can't play in there. You know, like Dude, that's there's a, there's yeah, a special. That sentence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. yeah. and she's like, "Why don't you open any of these? Because a lot of them are still in the package." Oh, I was going right? to ask that. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. keep them in the box, kind of person. Yeah, like um, I take some of them out because I don't care that much. But for a few of the pieces, like I found this really old Final Fantasy VII cloud figurine you know at value village still in the package for like eight dollars and i was like this is sick i looked it up on ebay it's a couple hundred bucks i'm like okay i'll keep this in the package you know those kind of things if you know what you're looking for another person's trash (laughs) (laughs) it's mary kondo's bane but uh yeah so all of them to quote mary kondo sparks joy right i have to remind myself like this is why i do what i do like there's so many things around me to like read about getting rid of your stuff it's not that though and that's the thing I've learned is like it's not that people are the backlashes all, I swear I don't work for Marie Kondo like, <laughs> it seems to be that it's just getting in touch with why you like the stuff that you keep around you okay and you reminding yourself of that because sometimes you just like get something you collect and then you just kind of put it off to the side and forget why you got it in the first place and it's good to remind yourself every now and you look at that thing you have like your cool hereditary set the little right. doll yeah. set and you're like this is why we have this is why I love watching horror movies the feeling I get when I look at this you know, that feeling is yeah. why we collect. That's exactly it, right? Yeah, definitely. It, collectibles, I think I've come to the terms, it just, it gives you energy. Like there's an energy that you get off of it by just having it around it's and inspiring. being around it. Yeah. yeah. It, it inspires me to like want to keep creating because those who create, create those moments for the people who are the fans of it and create those memories and create those things that we can attach ourselves to. I mean, I have this little... 
one of my favorite things I have, and it's nowhere near the most valuable, but it's like uh, Stanley made one of his final appearances at Fan Expo in Toronto a couple years ago. I have a picture of his blessing my child, basically holding my daughter. Oh, and, awesome. uh, and they made 500 <laughs> Funko Pop figurines of him that were exclusive to the con. And then he signed it for me. And I like keep that one at the top of my collection. I'm like, this is, that's you know, cool. he was an wow. inspiration to a lot of people. So Aww. that's the prize piece. That well, is so awesome. I have to ask you, DZ or Marvel? Uh, this is the tough one you because... You can't say both. You can't say both. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because of Wonder Woman, it's it's DC. DC. Yeah, because of Wonder Woman. Classic uh, Wonder Woman or current Wonder All Woman? of them. I've been with Wonder Woman through all the swings and like when they announced her like outfit change eight years ago or whatever it was, yeah. I was among the group who was angry and then like came back around to it and then stopped caring <laughs> and then like Gal Gadot was announced as Wonder Woman and I was like so mad because she doesn't have as big of hair as Wonder Woman's supposed to have but then I was like into <laughs> it because she's finally on the big screen so you know, you were there on the journey. Let's talk about Skin and Earth, that project. There's really seriously nothing else like it. And you could just tell it's truly a labor of love. So you put out this six issue comic. I got it in the graphic novel form. You could also get it in the digital form and oh, you you know, each issue. Right I got the graphic novel. Aww. I went and digital. Yeah, yeah, he went you digital. digital. He went digital. Thanks for checking that out. But that was a lot. It's just genius having the, like each chapter has a QR code so you can scan it on your mobile device and it opens up a whole new world associated with that chapter. So you get a song or two from Light's album, Skin and Earth, that corresponds to that chapter. So it's really just such a cool experience because you have a soundtrack to what you're reading. Characters are wearing certain things you can buy once you scan that QR code. It could be a piece of jewelry that's important to that chapter or a character arc or a piece of clothing that one of the characters is wearing. And I just have never seen anything like it. Even like behind the scenes videos of you drawing that chapter or something like that. Talk about how you came up with the concept to do this and the challenges that you faced going into this. Well, thank you for starters. I, I mean, I think that a big part of it was the challenge of creating something that I'd never really seen before. As a fan of comics and a fan of music and a creator of music, I'd always wanted to merge those two worlds more than I've seen that done. There's a lot of crossover in the fan bases. There's a lot of crossover. A lot of musicians will cross over into comic making, but don't necessarily tie it in with their records. You know, Coheed and Cambria does it, but I can't name a ton of other people that really do. I always would sit there and kind of, for years, I daydream about this idea but never thought I could do it. And I guess one day I just tricked myself into it, I guess. I was like, here's the story. So before working on this record, I just to preface all this, I had no idea what I was doing at all. I was just like, I'd love to make, come up with a story and then make it a record based on the story and then create a, a comic. And in my mind, initially, I think it was like, I'll do a 25 page comic that like goes with the album and we can put it in the booklet or something like the ideas evolved so much over time and uh, got a lot way bigger than I probably should have made them. <laughs> but I just came up with this really simple idea for a story and started to bring that into songwriting sessions when I was writing. And it was fun for the co-writers that I was working with, too, because it was like, this is the mood we're trying to convey. This is how it should feel. This is what I want to talk about. So that like cuts out, you know, three hours of a songwriting session. I don't know. You know how it is. Like half the time you're spending trying to figure out what you want to write about. It just like directed the sessions really well. So I wrote a ton of songs, started to really map out the story. And then at that point, when we had some songs that, you know, the label and my management team was excited about, I was like, oh, by the way, this is a concept record. And like, I want to do a comic with it. And I didn't know how they would react to that. But everyone was like, fuck yeah, like do it. I mean, if it's not going to cost us yes. money, do it. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and I was like, shit, now I have to do it. So I kind of like tricked myself into the, the work, I guess. But I, that's the only way to get it done, right? That's the only way I was going to make myself do it. And I'm like, fuck, okay, I have to learn how to, to do this then. So I just spent a ton of time, YouTube tutorials, webinars, like hitting up friends, reading a ton of material about writing. I went to one of my favorite comic book writers, Brian K. Vaughn, who's like, Oh yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, I love totally. Huge fan of his work, and I was like, hey. 
hey, um, can you write this for me? <laughs> and just crossing my fingers and hiding behind the door. And he's like, and because we had a line of communication when he was on Twitter for a while, and he was like gracious and incredible. He's like, I'm working on a thousand projects, but you are a writer. Like, you do this. Here's my advice. Gave me a ton of, basically mentored me through the project. Wow. And, you know, this is how I panel out a page. This is how I write. This is how many speech bubbles I'll put on. You can do this. So it was him who made me decide I should be the one writing it wow. as well as drawing it right. So I kind of dove in and just did it. And I guess the challenge along the way was the labor. Each book is like, what, 20 pages? Uh, on average, 23. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, about 170 pages in the whole thing. And eight to 10 hours a page just to draw, not including the writing. And the oh, writing itself, wow. like, the funny thing is there's no one way to do things, especially in a creative field and I've read a ton of books and everyone says something different and thinks they're right I, there is no right way to do it and, and so like in the back of these books uh, in the back of each issue I'll put behind the scenes of how I put together a page yes, because like if there's some, yeah if there's someone out there who wants to do it there isn't any right way to do it like you can do it however it works right I mean this is well, coming from someone who has no you, idea what they're you, doing you so. release at each one on its own like every yeah. month for like five months yeah well we, there's six so we did from July through December put out the six issues and then this came out the following year. And you were teasing them with songs, right? You were dropping songs here and and then for the Yeah, for the first four issues, there was a music video that went with each one that was tied into that chapter and brought the characters to life with that. And actually, we're working on a TV show now. Wow. And one about the IP. So like, I mean, it's still a long way away, but it's just like became this massive thing you could have never, I could have never imagined. And it was really inspiring. I think I was reminded that if you have a dream, the only person that is holding you back from going for it is you. This is their inspirational speech from life <laughs> that you're getting right now. But it's true. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to make an app. I'm going to learn to ride a horse. Like, I can do anything. <laughs> Whatever. Let's do it. Is there one page that you just love that was so super challenging to do and then you nailed it and you were like, yes, this turned out exactly how I wanted it. Oh, one of my favorite chapters is the We Were Here chapter where she takes revenge and yeah. she, like, she's, um, I wrote her a lot like myself. I think I swear everybody's first character is themselves. <laughs> it's, she's not really me, but she is. I don't know. She looks like you. <laughs> she is. Well, actually, I look like her. I'll tell you that. I cosplay her every day. After I created this character, I was like, oh, I'll dye my hair red too. Yeah. Oh, I can do that. Did you actually get the tattoos? I got the tattoo here and here, like in the order at which they occurred in this story. Really? So I, I committed, man. I'm one of those wow. crazy fans, That's right? Cool. <laughs> it's this, this page right here. It, it was such an iconic moment for me in the story because it was like, her finally channeling this badass that she never was able to tap into. And she's this like subtle badass with issues or whatever. <laughs> but it's this page. And and I think the thing I like about it is they just, uh, you know, cool. they got, they they got, got like the so warrior cool. stance. So you got the warriors, but yeah. it's like apocalyptic a little bit. But I think the hardest part about it was the background and creating like this misty rundown city street and like because I'm not like I don't know what I'm doing with drawing and I'm like this looks pretty real <laughs> nice job you know but yeah that was one of my favorites I have that and I did an art show actually teamed up with Bombay Sapphire and we did this amazing art show I blew uh, 17 of the pieces up like four foot by six foot like Whoa. you know the size of this wall and and did this massive art show in wow. toronto and it was so beautiful to see comic art in a fine art setting a very special thing that i'd never really witnessed before and after that i was like well what do we do with all these things so i have like you know six of them <laughs> hanging in my hallway and that's one of them uh, wow. so cool. when you start reading this comic it sucked me in the first page because really? it's like well she's in school right yeah. and then she's like going home and you're like Holy shit, by the second page, you realize how dark this is. Wow, where is this going? <laughs> you know, and then you keep reading and you're like, what? She lives you know, on the wrong side of the tracks. And yeah. It's very bleak out there. And, yeah. You know, it's like, what happened? It was, you know, post apocalyptic, you know, yep. chemical industry, just pollution everywhere. Yeah. You know? 
And then you get to where she meets the priest and the whole skydiving, yeah. uh, you know, scene. And then the it's, whole aesthetic like, changes for a moment. Yes. I listen to the song and then I realize, oh, wow, a song has a whole new meaning now. I can reference back the, the comic. That whole scene plays yeah. along with the song. I'm so glad that that came across because you never know. I mean, that was the intention. And it's just really cool to hear that. You didn't know any of the process going to that. And, and I think that's really, really cool to hear that that came across because a lot of little details in this book are nods to things that inspired me. And, and that in particular chapter was supposed to be a nod to old romance comics. I collected those for a number of years, like true romance and, you know, all these horrible, old, mostly misogynistic, but like, <laughs> yeah. I like the art. Um, these old romance comics, a lot of the panels in there were like little nods to that. And I wanted that whole thing to feel like a swing from the first chapter. And it's cool that that came across. Yeah, as well. Done. And by the way, that music video, uber sexy, man. <laughs> 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 the water was a little nasty, but <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> the, the song that kicks off the chapter where we first see Mitsuki, it's literally like a soundtrack. Waking up to the yeah. sounds, and you see her laying in the bed and everything, and you hit the song, and you're just, oh my god, yes. this is really cool. This okay. thing becomes a ride, right? This makes me yeah. so happy, because that was probably the one that was the most driven by the mood that I wanted to achieve in that chapter. I was listening to a lot of prison blues. At the time, you can get these whole records of actual um, old blues chain lines of prisoners singing. And it's really sad and heavy because mm. a lot of them got through their day singing and going through the work they had to do. And it's just the most pain in these songs. Anyways, I was looking, just searching for different things that could inspire and move. And that was one of the things I was listening to at the time. And um, so I, I like bedded down all these dark, deep vocals from yeah. the bottom of that because I said, this needs to have like this deeply rooted darkness but sadness, but there's like a little bit of hope mixed into that sure. in this moment. And it should capture what I'm envisioning for this chapter. Beautifully done. Yeah. There's some horror shout outs too. The Final Destination franchise got a shout out in there's the book. A, there's a little there's bit. A there's little a bunch bit. of shout outs. A little like, bit. Oh, I'm so glad. Well, it's funny. Like you were pointing out um, on your, to bring back your little hereditary set that you have. Yeah, Very yeah. cool. All the little God symbols that are all the way throughout the... The King the, Paymon. The, yeah, oh, the yeah. Paymon symbolism that's through all the props in the movie. Yeah, and stuff you wouldn't even necessarily <laughs> see you unless you see. held it in your hand. Yeah. I wonder if that stuff... I ask that myself a lot because like throughout my story is like tons of that stuff all throughout the book like in the in the walls of the first chapters like lyrics all the song titles are throughout the book there's all kinds of symbolism that ties the project together for me but I don't know if anyone ever notices that kind of thing. Do you think... You know, somebody watching something that that matters at the end of the day. All those little things. Do we notice it subconsciously? I think so. I think so too, Very right? much so, yeah. yeah. And I know, because I used to work as a set dresser. Oh. So, and we sometimes, you know, when you're working with, when it's artists all the way up the chain, sometimes it's just a bunch of people just trying to sure. get through the day. <laughs> but if everyone's on, on board and making art, then everyone is. And then someone as, you know, a set dresser is pretty yep. far down on the totem pole. But they're like, they'll give you that freedom to create some sort of art. So, and so for anyone who doesn't know, set dressing is in a movie, everything the the actors don't touch. If they touch it as props, if they don't touch it, it's just background. But that's a whole team that builds that, puts that together. And that's, I did notice that consistently throughout Hereditary and loved it. Interesting. And assume there was more, I think, because I agree with you, I think unconsciously, there's a it lot. Plays in you the way feel you feel. It. Yeah. You feel it. Yeah. And it's, and it sets the tone for the actors on set. Interesting. And so you're creating, you're really building a mm. world physically. If it comes across on screen, great. And if it doesn't, it's still there. So I think on some level. Amazing. It's really, yeah. I ask people that a lot because I think I'd like to think it's true, right? I think it is. I think it matters to me whether or not I can physically go back and be like that. 
was in there and that's why I felt that. The symbol for Priest and his element of the story is like a bird and the symbol for her element of the story is a butterfly. And you'll see those two things interacting all through the story, whether it's on the TV screen in one of the chapters or in the foreground or like the rear view mirror decal that he has in his car is a bird, right? So it's like little things like that. Not a lot of people pick yeah. up on, but right, right. I'm hoping it plays into yeah, the overall yeah, really cool. No, I think you totally effect. feel it. I'll give, you, I'll give you a movie example. I wish I had a horror movie example and a better movie, but I just think that this is oh, such gosh. a cool thing. It's Oliver Stone's The Doors. Oh, I haven't seen it. So it's not great. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's okay. But the dressing was great. <laughs> well, he did this genius thing, I thought. So it's Jim Morrison basically marching to his grave, you know, throughout the mm-hmm. whole thing. And throughout the whole film, whenever he's in a moment of like a high manic moment, there's a bald man in the scene looking at him. And in one part, he's dancing through the audience and the bald man has his hand on his back and he's dancing through him. And that bald man is the Grim Reaper. And that was Oliver Stone's choice to just kind of put the guy in there so that there's this creepy, Mm -hmm. weird looking bald guy so that you feel it, but you don't know it's there. And you can connect those moments. Yeah. And then once you know, you see it and you're like, wow, that's genius. Oh, I love that. So like once, you know, once that info is tipped, you know, because back in the day you didn't, you had to search, you know, no one. Sure. Yeah. No one was tweeting out these. Yeah. 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 Wikipedia. Yeah. How many times does he show up in the film? At least five. Maybe, maybe five or seven. But it's always at the moments where he's like hitting a high and it's just like this reminder that death is, is, you know, coming for him. Yeah. Ever watching. Yeah. Wow. That's it's super amazing. clever. And like, you know, Kubrick movies are just lousy with this stuff. That's yeah. like, have you seen Room 237? No. Oh, the, the documentary I, about The Shining? No, I don't oh. think I've seen yeah. that. I thought you were talking <laughs> about that. Maybe like Room 14 with a John Oh, 1408? Yeah, yeah, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. Um, and I love The Shining. I think that's one of my favorite horror movies ever. So it's a documentary about people who have <laughs> taken this notion way too far. So it's these okay, crazy fan theories about what's really going huh. on and what Kubrick's really trying to tell huh. us with all the symbolism hidden in The Shining. Yeah, like in the carpet. Like the carpet's one yeah. way. I saw something about that. Yeah. 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 It's fun. very similar to Apollo 11. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, and then the kids wearing the, the sweater with the baller. Exactly. Yeah. Do you think Kubrick was purposeful with that or was that like a mistake? I don't think it was a mistake. Putting the rugs the wrong way. Couldn't that, have been. That got everybody thinking, did he shoot the moon landing? Yeah. yeah. No way. Really? Do they go into that in that in that documentary? Yeah, they talk about the moon landing. They don't get too into it. There's another documentary all about him faking the moon landing. <laughs> really? That's a different. Oh, that's a different subject. <laughs> oh my and it's god. Crazy. That one is harder to believe, even though and Kubrick denied it. He denied it. Of course, he's got his yeah. paint. <laughs> <laughs> The black ops yeah. will wipe him from yeah. the face right. of the earth. Right. If Same you admit. secret joke in uh, uh, the James Bond movie, Diamonds Are Forever. There's a chase scene through through the like the evil lair, and he goes into a room, and it's a fake moon set in Las Vegas. Oh, it's and he funny. just runs through the and he he takes the moon lander rover, and you know, so they have a little car chase in the. <laughs> But they don't make, they just like say it like it's just there. It's yeah. just something that he it was sees. That one yeah. point. Oh, That's amazing. so funny. I just thought of a horror movie example of this. Yeah. It follows. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. Oh, 
okay, I've done a ton of research on this movie. Yeah? It's such an amazing movie. It really is. Yeah, this goes back to the, do we notice or feel the things that are off? And one of the things that the director does in that movie is the clothing they wear is inconsistent with the weather. Right. Right? Yeah. Like, they'll wear winter right. clothes one day and then summer clothes the other. So you're, and you never know what time of day is or what season it is. So right, you're always disoriented. Yeah. 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 So you're always disoriented about where things are at in right. the whole, it, like, it feels off. equilibrium. Yeah. You know, I, I've always off. talked about that opening scene where I always ask, what year is it? Yeah. I always well, ask myself yeah. that. Remember the kids are around the black and white TV and all that, you know? Yeah. And then you're like, and they have like a poly pocket yes. phone. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What the hell? Yeah. I'm like, from? I fucking love it. I don't right. care what year it is. Yeah, like that e-reader thing. Yeah. 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 But they're all talking on normal phones. There's no cell phones, right? right. But they doesn't... have current cars for the yeah, most they're part. Yeah, they're all like 80 and uh, 70s cars. Are they 70s? Or? Oh, I thought they were a little newer than that. Maybe. So watch it again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're playing like old maid, but all the cards are all old fashioned, yes. you know, yeah. and different things like that. It's yeah. very... Just very, de- like, yeah. makes you confused. It was one of those things where when I saw it, I didn't really know what all those things were you just felt off watching it like that just drew me back yeah. and right. yeah. watch it Very over and over yeah that was that's a, yeah. one of the better movies of the last decade I'd say yeah, yeah we have the wheelchair from that movie no yeah. Yeah. and like my kids push each other on no. Where do they learn? You're like, enjoy your ride. I'm pretty sure Everett's going to end up in it. Like, my one son does stupid stuff all the time. I'm pretty sure he's due to break something. Oh, yeah, we'll have to use it. Like, actually use it. You have a wheelchair. But there we go. There we go. Also, that film had a great soundtrack. Oh, that was an amazing soundtrack. was, like, off-putting. I actually actively listened to that soundtrack as well. Yeah. The guy who made it is a video game music, right? Disaster piece. Disaster piece. Yes, yeah, yes. that's it. Yeah, it was. He's he's great. Now, being a fan of like synth music, do you get into John Carpenter scores much at all or anything like you know, that? I, I was never like a score nerd. Okay, really. Like okay. I love to say I was, but it just wasn't that. <laughs> cool I guess <laughs> like only the coolest people I know are into like scores so good I just saw Escape from New York again oh That's, yeah the music is one. insane yeah oh my god that I can appreciate it it's yeah. it's amazing that movie ages in such a weird way because it's it's retro the tone is all like super 80 when does it take place 97 well, yeah it's shot in 81 <laughs> and it takes place in the future in 1997 oh. <laughs> <laughs> they pick like a little later <laughs> <laughs> there it's aged into a weird place already (laughs) (laughs) but it's still like models right it's got like a lot of miniatures and yeah like super low budget but high scope in in terms of storytelling Huh. So good. Great cast, too. Yeah. Who's in Escape from New York? Kurt Russell. Yeah, Kurt oh, Russell. yeah. No, I, where he's on the prison? Yeah. yeah. Island? Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, I love that Yeah, I love that movie. Wow. And then the no, president is flying over it, and then guess what? His plane crashes, and he lands in the prison. No. <laughs> so Kurt <laughs> so oh Russell has movie, to go, yeah. go get him. And there's no police regulation. No. Like, it's just like a right. no man's, yeah. like, chaos yes. apocalypse zone where That's there's right. like rebels and yeah, yeah it's cool total dystopia yeah. is there yeah. escape from LA too there right is. was yeah. that the sequel crazy yeah. later yeah, when it, it was a post there's an earthquake and LA breaks off from the coast and becomes its own no island way. <laughs> and then that Stop. becomes a prison wow. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you follow it's Superman, Alcatraz. Alcatraz. If you follow yeah. Superman, it's called Costa de Lex, right? <laughs> oh, what they remember? they carry it over into it? Lex Luthor, remember he wanted to blow up California? And yeah, make his own no island. Now, was there a conscious decision on choosing dynamite as the imprint? I mean, I know you're a Red Sonya fan, right? Yeah, I and do they, love her. they brought back Red Sonya, yeah. and they're doing the new Elvira comic too, they and they do Army of cool Darkness and Reanimator. It's really cool. Yeah, all the Army of Darkness stuff. They had like Kiss and Guar comics. And yeah, stuff. you know, I, I'd like to say I was like, well, I picked and choose like the one that I thought was the best fit, but they were the only ones interested. Yeah, <laughs> but that's cool. <laughs> so I was it pitching my out. comic, and I mean, I'm not a comic creator. And I think typically when you pitch a comic, you need to have a big name attached to it, whether that's the writer or the artist. People just aren't interested, right? There's just so many creators sure. out there trying to make it, and I don't know if they cared anyone else cared enough to take on a project that was maybe a risky one and it's especially when it was like oh she's gonna be drawing it on her own it's like okay I'm out you know right. <laughs> yeah. but uh, Dynamite took a chance on me and they taught me how to deliver files and they've been great so are you continuing on this trajectory is there the sequel to Skinner I mean it's kind of cliffhanger it's a cliffhanger right? at the end right yes, it wasn't supposed yes. to be uh, that what? last <laughs> I, I had this what like happened? way it was supposed to end and well, I, I didn't really. That was a problem. I, like, <laughs> I had an idea of where it should have ended, but I put it off for so long. And then I was like getting close to the end. It wasn't right. It wasn't right. And so the issue six became a double issue. So actually technically it's seven issues. So it became twice as long to get the ending right. And I woke up in the middle of the night with this eureka moment of how to tie it all together. And uh, it wasn't an ending. It was like the beginning. Right. The so there's more to come. I'm in the middle of working on arc two. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Be cool is, you know, for this to evolve into a movie. Well, the show, right? We're, We're working on the show, well, and ties oh into man, the next album. Oh well, yeah. And so that's the question: yeah. is like, I, you know, I have so many options of what I want to do with this project <laughs> yeah. next, and uh, I have a lot of ideas of how it's going to play. Oh, out, cool, but, uh, yeah. very cool. Yeah, like I said, though, it's like a, it's like a ton of work. I'm drawing on the plane when I'm in a car. When I have an hour at home, I'm drawing all the uh, time. Just, you know, this guy—it's amazing artwork. Are you? Thank you. Uh, is this all? <laughs> you start pencil paper, or do you go digital? How, what's the process? I did start out that way because a lot of books are like, that's the only way you could be a real artist. But those books were written in the 90s. <laughs> and so I started out that way, penciling and inking, scanning, coloring, and Photoshop. And it wow. proved to be very time consuming, right. using a lot of resources, seeking advice from one of my favorite creators, Jamie McKelvey. He's the artist on Wicked and Divine. I'm a big fan of that comic. And he became a friend of mine over the years. And he's like, oh, I'll just send you some screen caps of my process. This is the program I use. So I just ended up switching to that. And I do everything from scratch digitally. Oh, very cool. Um, and then I remember, you know, this book was done and I met Jim Lee for the first time. He was taking me on a tour through DC headquarters. That's so you know, awesome. DC fan right here. He's like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't fuck with digital. Everything's up wow. by hand. And I was like, cause he, I mean, he's been doing it for so long right. too. And, and he was one of the guys responsible yeah. for like Uncanny X-Men and oh, he did he, Alpha Flight. Yeah, he started oh, yeah. Wildstorm and then one is one of the founders on Image and now he's like head editor at DC and he's drawn some of our favorite characters. Like he's such a legend. He actually did you see his art in here? Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, he did a version of my character in here. I love him. And he just loves to nurture other artists. And I love that about him, too. But um, yeah, he, he's just like, yeah, I don't, I don't fuck with that. I was like, oh. But I think the thing is, there's no originals with digital art. And that's the downside to it. Uh, right? You can't sell your originals. And that's a big source of income for a lot of artists. Yes. But, you know, they love you. I can work on a plane. <laughs> Do you have any beliefs in paranormal or ghosts or? All the beliefs. 
Have you had anything paranormal happen to you? Yes, yes. Uh I want to hear all about it. (laughs) Yeah, so a lot of years I pushed out the belief because okay. I lived alone for a long, for eight years. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I was like, no, yeah. no, no. I grew up in the Philippines, actually. I lived in the Philippines for th- three and a half years. How did you end up there? My parents were missionaries, actually, when I was younger. Oh, so I lived sense. in Jamaica okay, yeah. and, and the Philippines. And um, I used to have this like irrational fear of being left alone. And every night, this is like a full confession right now. Every, every <laughs> night I would go sneak into my parents' room to check to see if they were still there. And this doesn't come from like a traumatic experience. My parents are great parents. They never abandoned me. I just was like afraid of being left alone. But I never told anyone that. And I could never tell anyone that. Uh, especially when I was younger, right? I went into their room one night and saw their heads in the bed. I was like, oh, they're, they're there. I guess I'm going back. Make the old, you know, pilgrimage heads, back to my room. Their heads in the bed? Yeah. Were they still attached yeah. to their bodies? Okay, yeah, their heads were attached. <laughs> still attached. Thank God. And I look out the window and there's three people people standing in the window and i remember thinking oh they're are they robbers and i was in this sort of like strange state where i wasn't afraid they just stood there in the window staring at me this trio a tall guy in the middle two shorter guys on the side completely fast forward years later i found out that's a common thing to visualize the shadow men it's three it's usually a trio but anyways the two guys on the side disappear and i'm like that's fucked they're not robbers and then the middle guy just keeps standing there and eventually turns around and walks away. And I was in this like half sleep state. So I went back to bed and the next day like fabricated this story about how I have lost my doll and had to go downstairs. because I didn't want to tell them that I was like checking on them in the room. And I saw these people out there and then they're like, there couldn't have been people. That's the second floor. Oh. We were on the second floor. Whoa, and geez. yeah, so to this day, I, I try to wrap my mind around it. I had one other experience. I love to travel alone. Before I was, I had a kid, I would yeah. go places alone just to write and one of the trips I took was to this cottage out in Tobemori, Ontario, in the middle of winter, dead of winter, like two feet of snow. This is shining vibes, you know? Yeah. yeah. I had this whole cottage to myself and I was there for a week and I was just working on Siberia Acoustic. One of my records, I was like, this is great Siberian vibes. I'm in the middle of nowhere. There was this one room that gave me creepy vibes. The room, the cottage had three bedrooms and this one had four bunks in it. And so I'm just like, the day I got there, I closed the door. The door closes like... You pull it in to close it, right? It closes, it opens into the room. So I like pulled it closed. I'm like, I'm not going in this room. It's just weird. The second last day I'm there, I hear a noise in that room. And I heard a couple noises in that room. I go back to that room. I'm like, okay, I got to check what that noise is. Push the door and there's a side table in front of the door. From, the, from the inside. Gosh, no From way. the inside. I, and I push it open and packed up my shit and left. Oh. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, I paid for an extra day, but I'm not staying. Oh, yeah. Man. Never, can't explain that to this day either. That is intense. <laughs> Those are good stories. I love stories like that. That well, shit can't be explained. Yeah. I know. No. We had an exorcist in here, a female exorcist. Wow. And she was talking about crazy demons and she does exorcisms in her back house in Studio City. What? She actually developed the origin story for or Tomb Raider. Yeah. No. Yeah. She's a comic book writer. Like she came and, up with mm-hmm. Laura Croft? Yeah. She, well, the character yeah. already existed, but it was the, the oh, whole backstory. Yeah. Oh, like Croft Manor, the whole family, like her father's murder. Yeah. Exactly. I'm a huge Laura Croft fan. Oh, oh yeah, that's wow. cool. Yeah, so she is an exorcist. Yeah, her name is R.H. Stavis. Yeah, she put out a book just this past, I guess, a year last ago. Year, well, that's yeah. like, yeah. The, like, I always love that, the creators and what their stories are, because the creator of Wonder Woman was the guy who invented the lie detector test. Really? And that's where yeah. the idea from, of the, where the lasso of truth came oh, from, right? Wasn't there was a docu- Marston. There wasn't a documentary, there was a but no, it was a, about him. It was a yep. fiction film. 
Right. I mean, yeah. a biofilm. What was yeah. it called? Think- Professor Marston and his women. Oh, yeah, because right. it was essentially he had a mistress and a wife, and yes, and uh, <laughs> yeah, he invented Wonder Woman. So so maybe a scummy guy, but came with right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wanted to talk about this. We'll go into space for a minute. You were here not too long ago to JPL, right? Yeah, to check out the Mars, the, the landing, landing, right? Yeah, I, we were. At- I used to work there. No way. Yeah. What did you do there? I worked on the first Mars Pathfinder mission. What? Yep, the first first Mars rover. Yep. So. I I didn't even know that. I feel like what it meant. <laughs> we are. Really? You're making that up. Wow. Come on, you knew that, Lord. I did not know oh, that. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, and the, the thing is, is like it was like a two day adventure. It was my first time at JPL, and I got this hat. Yep. Nice. Hat? Yeah, nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The first day was spent just kind of getting to know the people behind mm-hmm. the amount of work that goes into it, and how many years they spend, and all the information. And then the next day was watching the landing, and I bald i cried i didn't even work on that thing and how did it feel when it, it paid was it a successful yes, landing yeah that was july 4th 1997 and and like was it the best feeling ever yeah it was pretty intense it was pretty crazy it's intense uh, yeah but my team was in charge of aside from uh, you know from launching the rocket from the cape was to maintain the temperature the spacecraft's you wow. know traveling towards mars yeah. you got to keep it from burning up so you got to rotate the spacecraft. You know, the sun hits a certain side. Wow. It's got to cool off. Wow. It's so you just, I think the misconception going into like these things as like a person who knows nothing about rocket science is like, oh, there's like a video feed just like in all the sci-fi movies of this right, thing right, landing. Right, yeah, but yeah, no. all you're looking at is a data feed, yes, right? just numbers. Yeah. yeah. Like it looks like the Matrix. Like yeah, just, yeah <laughs> that's, that's what they see. Wow. Yeah, there's no video. There's no video camera out there. No. There's no looking GoPros. at it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. GoPro. There's Why no, not? There's no Get, Wi-Fi in space. Well, they yeah. put te- didn't they put a Tesla up in there? And, yeah. Right, yeah. And, well, that's, that's my other big question for NASA is like they piece together these photos that are yes. like pretty, kind of crappy sometimes. And like what? Like these amazing pieces of technology, and they still can't put a better camera on. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. No, 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 but I can answer that. So, for example, you can't put the latest camera or supercomputer on that vehicle. Because they have to be tested. So, for example, if you run at Windows 10 or whatever, yeah. you know, that's been tested, right? Yeah. For 10 years or whatever. Oh, it's, sure. It's bulletproof. Oh, interesting. You can't put the latest iPhone on there. How many years of testing does it need? It's crazy. It just depends. It's crazy. It's, you know, all these cameras and computers, yeah, yeah. you know, they have to pass the test of time. Interesting. Once they do, they get approved and they're like, okay, we're going to use it for the mission. So, so it's yes. like a camera from like 1997 that's yeah. on the current one. <laughs> right. <laughs> Answers my question. Getting better. It's getting better. Yeah, in ten years, it's going to be yeah. an iPhone. Yeah, exactly. That's so funny. Interesting. Well, I appreciate that you answered that. Wow, oh, I love this. Didn't come expecting that answer. <laughs> that JPL has an occult background, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. Story. Really? No. Give me that. Oh man. Well, I don't know the full story, but uh, the guy behind oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> You're like, I know. I, I, I keep wanting to see what's his name, Parsons. Right? Jack Parsons. Jack Parsons. Jack Parsons invented solid rocket fuel that helped us get to the moon. Founded founder of JPL. Yep. Died in his garage, blowing a hole in the eighth dimension to allow the demons of Babylon to yes. run amok. And then the mist happened. <laughs> like, no, no, that's the mist. That's the beginning of the mist. Um. Interesting. He was uh, he was into the occult with L. Ron Hubbard, oh, yeah. Lafayette Ron Hubbard. Come there's on. a there's Scientology. some people say yeah. that he's the guy who bet L. Ron Hubbard that he couldn't invent a religion. Oh, but I don't know if that was him or not. That might just be a fun way of tying those two and guys did, together. Is that how he died by blowing a hole? That's what they say. But well, wasn't yeah. Alistair Crowley part of that? Alistair yes. Crowley. The three the of them. Three of them. Yeah. The three of them were besties. They're actually way into raven-haired women. 
Wow. That was, oh their, my that God. was their thing. Okay. Oh, I love there's a, it. There's a great book called Sex and Rockets yep. wow. about their relationship. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. And, you know, JPL, Jack Parsons Laboratory. Damn, I had no idea. I don't know if that's really what no, it stands for. Well, it's not what it stands for now. Right. Is that like the urban They're, myth that they, that's what it stands well, for? Well, they distanced themselves from his legacy. Yeah. Because his legacy is so tainted with nutso stuff. Right. Wow. That's sure, yeah, where, why not rename? Right. The place that you visited, right over there. Mars? Oh. No. <laughs> Disney. The portal to hell. Yeah, the portal to hell. <laughs> what is that? In yes. Altadena, right? Oh, is that where it is? Very close, yes. Right. Is yeah. that connected to them? Yeah, because apparently yes, they so would have rituals. Oh, yeah, that's they, Wait, what's the portal to hell? So there's a spot not that far away it's from the JPL. Way to hell. It's the Royal yeah. Seco, the Royal Seco River that runs right through JPL. Right below it, there's a spot where they go do rituals, like sexual rituals. Is it? Is it like visually interesting or is it just uh, I wouldn't go there weird stuff happens. <laughs> like, literally oh, weird really? stuff happens yeah. there. people go missing there all the time yes. yeah don't go it's there's like <laughs> isn't there like trees with like swings hanging but yes. it's so high that no people can right. actually get up there right. Right. and they're like how the fuck did it get up right. there what right. It's really crazy. And that's it, here? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It Get is called the here. portal to hell. I mean, they couldn't name it uh, any other... Right. <laughs> right. Like, what will keep people away? away. No, <laughs> actually, it just makes people interested. So apparently, that's that's right. so apparently, like, the three of them right. would go and hang out at this place and perform rituals is yeah. the story. That yeah. is yeah. so messy. They were the... They, Alistair Crowley, I believe he thought he was the Antichrist. Yes. That was his goal, was to prove himself as the Antichrist. All right, Boo Crew field trip. I'll bring all my weapons. <laughs> wow. Bring the sharp ones. Yeah, only the sharp ones. Wow, interesting. So fascinating. <laughs> oh, another thing I wanted to mention, borscht. Yeah. Which comes up in the comic. I'm Canadian myself. Are you? Where are you from? The, well, the last city I lived was Vancouver. Okay. Uh, I was born in Saskatchewan, mm. where borscht is actually massive in Saskatchewan. Is because there like a big Russian population? Ukrainian. Yeah. Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Yeah. Huge population of Ukrainian people. And, and my dad's side of the family is Ukrainian. So I grew up with borscht, which is beet soup. It's like fermented mm. cabbage beet, right? Did you pick that because you don't have no, any okay, Ukrainian well, in you? Or? Story, this is kind of a funny story. So it's like one food I've never had. Really? Still to this day. Oh, really? I've never had it, but I always fa I'm fascinated by its color because no food looks like that. <laughs> like this sloppy purple stuff. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, what? It looks gory. It's gory. Yeah. It's, all, it's gory. It's, and it's kind of like, what would be the last thing you could put as a fast food food? Borscht. Borscht. Yeah. So the whole concept is like, there's this, it's the apocalypse and like they live in the shitty side of town. So the fast food restaurant just kind of like makes fermented cabbage and sells it as this really fun thing. <laughs> and that's the story of Borscht in the box. And, and so a lot of fans have come up and been like, have you tried Borscht yet? And I'm like, ah, Do no. they bring you Borscht and stuff to no shows? No one's probably Borscht yet, but this it's kind of like the, I don't know if I will now. It's, I, I call it the Snatch Syndrome because um, <laughs> never, I've never seen Snatch, the movie Snatch. Really? And I get this reaction every time. Wow. Yeah. People are like, oh my God, you have to Snatch? And every time I'm like, no. And so I have like 20 copies of Snatch that people give me. I have like VHS copies, DVD copies, every copy of Snatch you can think of and still haven't watched it. Do you not watch it on principle now? now? On principle like, now. Why don't they, I don't think you can now. No, I can't. The, the movie that people are wanting you to see doesn't exist in your mind. No, it's on like, the what hype, are you talking about? That's just, yeah. Hype is way yeah. too high. Exactly. So yeah, never will watch Snatch. Maybe never try Borscht. 
Wow. I'm a nothing kind of bitch, you know? <laughs> <laughs> we got a, here we just recently got all dressed chips. Hell yeah. Oh, have so, you not had this before? No. no. He's so Dang. excited. They, so have, they have a maple leaf on the bag, Yo. like from Canada. Come on. Yeah. yeah. They just started coming like a couple weeks ago. What do you, what do you of think of NAFTA? them? I mean, I grew up with classic, all dressed chips. Classic. They're really classic good. And moose jaw. Yeah. And my yeah. kids love them. They're like, pretty good. Yeah. They're, they're not so bad, bad, right? It's like if we take every single chip flavor in the world, put it into one. That's what it is. That's amazing. I think that's the premise. It's got more of a like the initial, what do you call it? If you're tasting wine, what is that called? The accent or whatever? The initial Oof. Uh, yeah, I guess sure. <laughs> it's like salt and vinegar. Yeah, salt and vinegar right. is the first flavor. Then barbecue. I think. Barbecue. Then yeah, like a sweet, then, like a a sweet barbecue, ketchup. and then like ketchup. a ranch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ketchup, yeah. ketchup chips, which is another Canadian thing. Ketchup chips. Yeah, which I haven't seen down here either. And poutine. Poutine, of course. You tried? Did you try poutine? We went to Vancouver. Yeah. We had poutine. Poutine is the best. Where do you get your favorite poutine? The best poutine I've had is from a place called La Banquise in Montreal. And oh, it's wow. the only thing I've ever waited in line for. That's like high-end wow. poutine. I was going to say A&W. No. <laughs> no it's my favorite. But for real, it's not like, nobody does poutine fancy. If you try to do it fancy, it's just not right. Yeah. right. So like, La Banquise is like, you can combine it with different things, but they're, the fact is the fries, the cheese, and the, and the gravy are amazing. And then you can put whatever the fuck you want on it. Right. It's still going to be amazing. Yeah, that's it's a good slot. point. <laughs> I can't believe it hasn't gotten bigger down here. There and was a place in Burbank or in uh, Toluca Lake. It's like Lake. hipster food or whatever. It was, it was like <laughs> yeah. 10 years ago there was this place in Toluca Lake. It was actually wow. a guy from Boston Oh, came out here. Poutine. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't very good. <laughs> But it was interesting, but he tried, but it was like a a poutinery. Yeah, it was a poutinery. Well, Well, there's smokes down here now, and it's not bad. What do they have? Smokes poutinery is... uh, Oh, yeah, I've seen it. It's by the Arclight. Yeah, that's like a franchise, and it's not bad. And they have that here. I've had it. Oh, shit, we have to go there. We're we're seeing glass. Are we seeing it at the Arclight? No, we're seeing it. Did you say wiener poutine? Yeah, like sliced up weenies in it. Like, with some fries, cheese curds, gravy, and sliced up wieners. wieners, yeah, that's like a thing that people love. Wow. Yeah, that's like a famous one. Are you Vegan, right? I, I, I'm like vegetarian now, so I don't okay. I don't necessarily get the weenie one. Right, but don't fuck with the, I have the before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that came out right. Didn't mean it. You got a new song out with Dead Mouse. Did you go to the Mouse House? No, it, I've only met him once. Really? Yeah, and that was at our Juno's performance in 2012. Wow! Raise your weapon. I love him. I think he's the best. His uh, place looks fucking cool. His place looks super sick. Yeah. But, um, yeah. He just sent me the track, and then I wrote to it. Like most of the collabs I've done, we've never been in the same studio. A lot of the guys I haven't even met yet. That's that's yeah, wild. Like, well, that's the nature of the technology, that's, right? It's, yeah, twenty fucking nineteen, man. Yeah. I mean, I have a studio in my house, and I spend a lot of time up there, a few hours a day. You know, when I can find the time to just work on stuff, so I can produce a great vocal out of my own house. And a lot of the tracks you're hearing are vocals coming out of my own studio. That's great. And same with the Dead Mouse song. So I'll just send him a vocal, and he'll. It was a funny one because he was just like, "I'm like, here's my idea." He's like, "Cool, done." I'm like, <laughs> "Don't you want me to do more?" But he was happy. He's like a no bullshit kind of guy. If he wow. didn't like it, he wouldn't have said it. I love it about him. What about the video? Did you have have any idea what was being cut to that? Were you in front of a green screen? Because it is a fucked up video. Yeah, it's my awesome. Loves that video. She's like, put the dead bones. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Denboer is the sort of the brains behind the whole thing, and he did Monophobia as well. And he does. I showed up to the shoot, and it was just him. Wow. Like what? no lighting, <laughs> no anything, just him. He's like, yeah, I'm shooting it and editing it, and like doing all the post pro. Take like three months. I'm like, okay. And I fucking loved it. It was cool. It did was they just show like, you what was going on or no, did they just say, just all. do some shit in front of a green screen. I Don't saw, worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> That's basically, gonna be good. basically that, like I saw monophobia, which was sort of like the precursor video, a very similar vibe yeah. where he gets like yeah. these 
skins, like these uh, CG skins that he can just like warp, then do whatever he wants to. So he'll, he'll program in a dance or something and then like manipulate their faces to look all fucked up, give them like five arms and then send. And then they're like these figures and he has a program that doesn't. He's obviously downplaying the ease of the amount of work that goes into it. But right. He's, yeah, he's a pretty awesome dude. At Smearballs on Instagram. <laughs> Check him out. <laughs> so have there been any amazing horror movies that you've seen recently that you could recommend to us? Oh, oh okay. One that I saw that I was... I'm always thrilled when I can see, be moved by a monster and actually see it and be pleased, right? And most m- movies won't show it. And then when they do, it's like, pumpkin head or something we all love you cult classic but the ritual oh, have you seen the ritual that's Brilliant. a great amazing great movie. movie and i was like there's no way they're gonna show because the suspense was just so yeah. intense that was really good and they show this miraculous fantastical creature that you couldn't even imagine would have been it it shows it clearly too Anyway, that's my recommendation for a recent movie. Oh, another one. Have you seen Raw? No. No. Yes. Yes. That's intense. That is an intense one. It's these, it's French. Yeah. It's French. So it's watched with subtitles. These two girls that go to university together, the younger sister of the two, and great acting and everything, realizes she has like an appetite for flesh, like human flesh. Oh. And just like the, the shit. It's a simple premise, but the way that they do it is just so real yeah. and fucked up. And she kind of overcomes her. Like she goes into these catatonic states where she just wants flesh. It's just like an amazing movie. Wow. Yeah. Dark. So, so that's why you're vegetarian though. Yeah. I actually yeah. have like, oh, I think I might not ever eat again. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't eat borscht while watching <laughs> <Yeah>. Raw. <laughs> exactly. I got to ask, you're oozing with creativity. You got, you're, you're sketching, you're drawing, you're illustrating, you're writing music. On the side, you got music, you're writing records, you're playing the guitar on the guitar. <laughs> How do you find that focus? Like, are you a hyper focused person? You wake up and you're like, okay, 11 a.m., I'm going to no, write this song. No, not at all. How does it come together? Ugh. Well, that's part of the process that I've learned in the last couple of years through the making of this comic is like, I just grew up believing in the power of creativity. It strikes you one day and you sit down and you lose yourself in it. And like, it was like this fantastical, like, ethereal being that like chooses you when it wants to but i don't think that's true anymore uh, i think that that exists and that's part of it and there's some magic to it but you just have to fucking do it and you have to work and i think the the charm i lost my innocence with my third album where I had the worst writer's block of my life um, i'd buy a magnum of wine and just play skyrim till 4 a.m <laughs> avoiding the music room because i just didn't want to to like confront the fact that i had no ideas and so i just didn't do the work i year would pass where i just couldn't come up with ideas and at that point i, I learned like you just have to do it put the work in create garbage and then move past it right and so since working on this i've learned you have to put the time in i'm going to draw from 11 to 4 today and then i'm going to be in the studio tonight for two hours i am also a big believer in like not working if you just don't feel like it today i'm going to spend time with my daughter fucking do it we've glorified this idea of like hustling and being out there and and abandoning your relationships for success and i don't Mm. think that's good either right Right. it's finding the balance and all that and that's I still haven't found the balance and I'm always battling with myself over like, do I get up and do the work now? Oh, Diablo three, <laughs> you know, and that's always the inner dialogue right. that's happening. And, and it, the fact is I am having the inner dialogue all the time. And I think that's what, as long as you have that, you have something that's motivating you to do the work. And if you're doing work you love, it's even easier. Well, you know, it shows cause you look back to your first record up until now, until skin and earth and every single song it's poetry. There's no Thank fluff. You. There's no filler in there. 
Like, I'm, I'm, I'm always looking for the filler. I, you know, I'm like, okay, a single, single, What's single. What's the line that doesn't mean, mean anything? Yeah, I'm like... What's a song, you know, the song even, you know, with some repetitive hook, something yeah. random, you know, it's like, there's no filler. It's poetry, Thank poetry, 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 and it keeps going. Thank, this like, is, this is so nice to hear because I, I think what got me out of the slump was poetry. And that was like, uh, really diving into Patti Smith's body of work. Oh, She's an amazing poet and just her performance and her, I suddenly dove into like her history coming up in like the New York spoken word scene and just right. the energy that she would put out into that and um, started to read Wool Gathering and a lot of her books. Amazing poet. And so that sort of freed my mind from the clinches of top 40 pop songwriting and just let me go back to what I really love about music. And I, because I've been in enough sessions Especially here in LA, where it's a lot of, it's a factory creating pop music. And you'd go into a session and people would be like, you know, lyric doesn't matter, right? You wow. know, you just, you just huh. need a melody that works and fit words in that sound good. And that's all that matters, right? Like, who cares? You think thriller means anything? I'm like, fuck yeah, I think thriller means something. Yeah. And I think every lyric has to mean something. And this may be me coming from like the MSN era, like AOL, where you could make a lyric your tagline <laughs> yeah, or whatever. Yeah, like yeah. Yeah. Screen name. Yeah, like every lyric should be a fucking screen name, That's right? That's a good way to look at it. <laughs> Drake good does way it. to look at it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, but the cool thing is like, you know, you listen to one song after another after another and it's not a fabricated sameness. It's very diverse. Thank like you. one song, you have drums that are distorted. Yeah. And you have a little auto tunage going on, you know, and the, with your vocals and you got something else distorted and you're like, and it just changed. It's very, it's varied. I guess you would say, you know, it's, it's quite a variety there. Thank you. And one track that stands out is a new fear. New fears. Yeah. yeah it's like, I don't even know how to explain it. It's like, you're, you're putting it out there. Yeah. There's in, intense energy in that song. And, oh, amazing. But it sounds amazing. It sounds amazing. Aw, thank you. So, that one's actually about my kid. That, oh, really? yeah, that's about my daughter. I always tell her that. This is that's your song. She's like, why? When I was pregnant with our first kid, Scarlett, I used to listen to February Air all the no time. Way. She, was, she was born on Valentine's Day. <gasps> my daughter was born the day after Valentine's Day. Oh my gosh, I'm the thirteenth of February. What? My son's February eighteenth. I've got a Halloween kid oh. and then March twenty fifth. Yeah, oh I remember that gosh. EP though was like the soundtrack of that whole time, right? Yeah, like, my, yeah, that's yeah. amazing. That's 10 years first ago kid, yeah. well, 11 years ago but the first record was 10 years ago this year yeah nuts yeah my daughter's turning 10 crazy next month and i'm always like do you remember hearing that song and she's Aww. like i don't remember being in your belly and i'm like what's wrong with you <laughs> who are you that would have been traumatic right yeah. if we remembered that <laughs> uh, it's, it's funny i mean there is like a subconscious memory i was working on not skin earth with the record before little machines when I was pregnant, that was like after overcoming that writer's block. And then I got pregnant. I was like, oh, God, I got to do this. I really want to. I like rediscovered my love for music and was almost on the record, was finishing vocals and went into labor in the studio, finished the vocals, <laughs> Wow. Uh, went home, had her by the next morning. And I came back in the studio a few days later and finished the record. I didn't know anything else to distract myself. And so then a couple months later, started touring and Anytime we played the song that I was recording when I was beginning stages of labor, she'd fall asleep. That's crazy. Uh, initially, wow. she would start crying and then she would just fall asleep. <laughs> 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 like, she remembers somehow and she falls asleep during my set every single time. Like, 
I'm trying to put out energy on stage, and she's. I look over yeah, the side stage. Yeah. I'll sleep every time. You're like, why could this happen at night? Yeah, like, come on. Yeah. All right, lights. Well, we're gonna get to some music now because we have kept you yapping for a very I long could time. Talk all day. We could talk yeah. to you forever talk too. To you, all day. you got a wedding though to get to, so. We gotta, yeah. But again, thank you so much yes, for joining you. us. It is just awesome. Thank to you have for you having here. me. This Seriously. is so such amazing. a cool experience to oh, be talking gosh. to you guys. Like, I feel like I'm with my people. That's yeah. awesome. And I'm really, I really hope we get to just, I want to come to one of your movie nights. Hell yeah. Yes. Are you in LA often? Every like month or two. Usually okay. come like once yeah. a month. Yeah, yeah. We saw you at Chipotle once in Burbank. No way. Yeah. Yeah. I love that place. That was years and years ago. God, that's so funny. <laughs> well, let's do this again sometime. We broadcast over 666 kilohertz on the AM band. Movie scores, soundtracks, and bands. It's Killer Tracks on Terror Tunes. Music is my life. It's the first of a brand new segment of live musical performances conjured up in the Speakeasy Studio. Hit up TalesFromTheBooCrew.com where you can watch videos of the performance and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube page to not miss out on all the performances still to come. This would be Lights playing two songs for you. You'll hear an acoustic version of Savage from her new album Skin and Earth available everywhere now, followed by the debut acoustic performance of the new single she has out now with Dead Mouse, Drama Free. It's Boo Crew Terror Tunes and Lights. from so high We were heaven and the moon in the center of my eye And I would shine on you And I would kiss your crown And then out of the blue You would cut me down When you hung up the phone and you blocked my number I was alone in the rain and thunder I should have known when you sent me under I'm on my own and that made me wonder What do you do when a man don't love you? He takes the sun from the sky above How do you fix the damage? How do you break habit? I never knew you could be so sad I never knew you could be so, so Just say it like you mean it Won't you scream it out like it's religion You were the priest and the prophet You were my scripture, my conviction But when you hung up the phone and you blocked my number I was alone in the rain and thunder I should have known What do you do when a man don't love you? He takes the sun from the sky How do you fix the damage? How do you break habit? I never knew you could be so
wash the ground out from under me And on you with, with me I was swept away What do you do when a man don't love you? He takes the sun from the sky above you How do you fix the damage? How do you break the habit? Be so Podcast episode number 33. Special thanks to our guest, Lights. You just heard the acoustic debut of her new single, Drama Free. She has out now with Dead Mouse and a version of Savage from her new album, Skin and Earth. Watch the videos of those performances at TalesFromTheBootCrew.com. Follow Lights at Lights on Instagram and Twitter. And do yourself a favor and get Skin and Earth and the accompanying comic book series are all together in one graphic novel everywhere. Till next time, it's Trevor for the Boot Crew saying, See you on the other side. Frightening. I don't know where that came from. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shand, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tahada. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation. It's time for this boogeyman to boogie.